Welcome to Stories from the Midland, a collection of historic tales from Teller County and the surrounding areas. In today's episode, we're exploring the life and death of Sam Strong. This episode is written and is being presented for you by Tommy Allen. The Strong Mine sits on the edge of the city of Victor, below the looming Independence Mine. If you're coming into the city from the east on County Road 81, just after you pass the big Welcome to Victor, Colorado sign and County Road 84 immediately after it, look right. The ore house for the Strong Mine is the abandoned large rectangular building with the bridge extending from it to a tall pile of dirt. The Strong Mine was once one of the top 10 producing mines in the Cripple Creek Gold Camp. The man who established it was Sam Strong, a volatile man whose volatility would prove to be his undoing. Our story about Sam Strong begins on January 11, 1864 in Ohio, when Sam was born to parents Adley and Drusilla. He was the seventh of nine children. The first two of the children had died before the age of five, and Adley was constantly plagued by typhoid fever, which he contracted in the Civil War. Drusilla was diligent in providing a good education for her children, but she contracted tuberculosis and died the day after Sam's 10th birthday. Sam's eldest sister also contracted TB, most likely the result of returning home to care for her ill mother, and died three years later. When Sam's brother William developed TB symptoms, Adley decided it was time to move the family to drier climates. Sam's brother George had already left for the mining camps in the Utah and Colorado territories, and when Adley filed a homestead claim in Nebraska, Sam continued further west to join George. On August 24, 1884, Sam married Rebecca Jane Baldwin, and the couple moved back to his family in Nebraska, where Rebecca gave birth to two children. Nebraska's brutal winter of 1888 drove Sam and his family out of Nebraska to again join George in Colorado Springs, and Sam took a job hauling lumber. One spring day in 1891, while Sam was playing cards with friends Winfield Scott Stratton, Jimmy Burns, and Jimmy Doyle, Bob Womack burst in. Bob was drunk, so the others first doubted him when he raved about finding gold but he pulled a rock out of his pocket and showed it to the others. Stratton immediately took notice, as he was the only one at the table who was college educated in the area's rocks and minerals. Based on this, Stratton was the first to find gold on Battle Mountain over what would become the city of Victor. And his discovery drove the Jimmies and Sam to work all the harder to find their own gold. Months before Sam made his discovery, he was living in a cabin with a dirt floor, doing his own cooking, washing, and ironing. Unable to reconcile the lifestyle, Rebecca divorced him. In 1891, Sam was a young 27 years old and suddenly a rich man. He'd leased out his mine and was receiving payments of $10,000 that would total $100,000. So while he was rich, he was also relatively idle. He filled his time with drinking, gambling, fighting, and enjoying questionable female companionship. Sam and his brother George purchased the Texas House Saloon in the growing city of Victor, and Sam began investing in other mining companies, like the Free Coinage Gold Mining Company, of which he owned the controlling interest. 
When the Cripple Creek Miners' Strike of 1894 erupted, Sam refused to take sides. But based on his status as a mine owner, the Western Federation of Miners' Union labeled him an enemy and blew up his mine, killing the majority of 11 men in the shaft house. Use of explosives by the union to terrorize and kill mine owners, non-union workers, and politicians would become common throughout this strike and the following one starting in 1903. During the first strike, George continued to run the Texas House Saloon, and Sam was a frequent visitor. Following a drunken fight where the sheriff intervened to keep Sam and George from being killed, Sam began to keep a pistol on his person. Soon after that altercation, George left Cripple Creek to join his brother William in the New Mexico Territory. The following year, Sam attended the funeral of his father, Adley. In February of 1900, Sam fell in love and married Regina Neville, an 18-year-old woman half his age. Two of his former mistresses were angry at Sam for not marrying them and sued for breach of promise. In the ensuing court battles, one of the mistresses attempted to discredit Sam by accusing him of paying for the 1894 strong mine explosion. And the men who leased the mine from him initiated a lawsuit of their own, claiming Sam wanted to drive off the leasers to take back control of his mine. The strong mine was so successful by this time that a small community, a suburb of Goldfield called Strong's Camp, sprung up around it. By April 25, 1901, the jury was selected and opening statements were given on the mine explosion trial. Over the next six weeks, the plaintiffs presented witnesses made up of incarcerated union workers, most of whom had served time together in Canyon City. One of the men who'd actually taken part in blowing up his mine testified against Sam to clear his own name. In response, Sam's attorney presented more credible witnesses like Winfield Scott Stratton and William Bell, commander of the state militia during the strike. Newspapers friendly to the union worked to influence the trial by swaying public opinion against Sam. And on May 17, 1901, the jury took only 30 minutes to decide on their not guilty verdict. Sam was already wealthy and had never shown interest in actually operating his mine. The plaintiffs filed for a new trial, but were stymied when the union workers who had previously testified against Sam flipped their testimony, claiming they had been caught up in the conspiracy against him. By this time, Sam and Regina, who'd showed unflinching support to Sam during the trial, were living in Denver. While fighting in court, Sam hadn't had much chance to return to Cripple Creek and his business interests there. So on August 21st, 1901, he took a train back to the Gold District. After visiting one of his mines, Sam and a small group of friends headed out for a night of gambling and drinking. They eventually made their way to the Newport Gambling Hall, run by Grant Crumley. Sam had canceled a $2,500 check to Crumley two years before, claiming he'd lost his money to a fixed roulette table. When Sam and his friends returned to the Newport that August night, a drunk Sam had harsh words for Crumley, but Crumley calmed the situation and apparently bought Sam a drink to put the past behind him. Through the night and early into the morning, Sam and Crumley repeatedly argued and then made peace. Sam brandished his 32 caliber hammerless gun several times during these arguments and had to be convinced by his friends to put it away. What happens next is debated. 
One account says Sam's friends convinced him to leave and on their way out came face to face with a shotgun wielding Crumley who immediately shot Sam with a load of buckshot. Another account says that Sam confronted Crumley with his pistol and fired a shot that missed and that while his companions wrestled with him while he was still trying to get to Crumley, Crumley reached under the bar and withdrew the shotgun with which he shot Sam in the head just above the eyes. Either way, Sam died a couple of hours later in the home of Regina's father, J.B. Neville. Grant Crumley was arrested immediately, and he was arraigned on November 1st at 10 o'clock. Crumley entered a plea of not guilty to Judge Seeds, and he was eventually acquitted, Sam's behavior during the night and morning in question propping up his self-defense claim. Sam's widow, Regina, who stood by her husband throughout the breach of promise and mine explosion trials, remained in Denver. After payment to the estate attorney, the settling of Sam's other business affairs, and a settlement to the old mistress who'd launched the first lawsuit, she split Sam's estate with his two children. His first wife, Rebecca, who'd left Sam before he became rich, chose this time to sue the estate. She was unsuccessful. Thank you for listening. This is Tommy Allen, and on behalf of Trevor Phipps, have a great day. And if you're heading out for a night of drunken revelry, you probably want to leave your guns at home. We look forward to having you join us next time for more Stories from the Midland. References used in this episode can be found on the episode's webpage. Visit storiesfromthemidland.com slash podcast. <laughs>